Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. And I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. This is a big week, Lily. Tell everybody why we are so excited this week. Our book is out tomorrow! Yay! Finally! So Freelancing for Journalists, published by Routledge, goes on sale tomorrow. Oh my god, this is something we've been working on for so long now. Um, way back in 2017, apparently. Emma's recently found out that's when we first started work on this. Um, yeah, so just to let you know, you can grab your copy at all the usual places. There are 12 chapters on everything from where to find work to getting ideas, pitching, delivering the goods, branding, networking, working from home. It's filled with case studies, loads of examples and templates. So basically it's your one-stop freelance guide. Yeah, we are really excited for um, everyone to read it. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a very, very big day for us. So let's cut straight to the chase for our topic today. We are going to be talking about how to get started as a freelance journalist. Yes, we've had quite a few listeners um, that are students. So in honour of all those who are about to graduate, perhaps from a journalism or media course, we wanted to do a show for anyone wanting to get the freelance ball rolling. Yeah, so this isn't necessarily about finding work, pitching, come up with ideas, all of which we've kind of covered in other episodes, but about kind of what you need in place before you start freelancing. Yeah, so we're going to get you all organised so you don't trip up on any avoidable hurdles. Yeah, and this is where Lily and I can really get stuck in because Lily loves a Google Doc and I love a plan. Can't do anything without a plan. Um, so let's get to our first top tips of Series 2. Uh, Lily, what is the one thing that you had wish you'd known before starting out? Yeah, I've been having to think about this and... I think for me, I procrastinated about business cards um, far too much. And I'd wish I'd sort of known um, that I didn't really need to do that. I actually paid someone to design um, a logo for me and I got them printed up and they're all very nice. Um, but I haven't actually handed that many out. And particularly now that there are kind of no events to actually go to in person. Um, I've found that they weren't as essential as I thought. I still think it's good to have them. I think they're, they're a desirable, but they're definitely not an essential thing. You don't need to have business cards ready to go before you can possibly pitch to anybody else. So I think that would be my tip really, is kind of, yes, they should be on your list, but perhaps not kind of your top priority. How about you, Emma? Um, yeah, so I think mine would be, um, to kind of make a long list of all the possible places that you could work for across nationals, magazines, websites, regional, local media, anything really, and start to find out a bit more about them. Because it can kind of feel a bit like, oh, well, you know, where do I start? It's a bit overwhelming. So the way I kind of approach stuff when it's a bit overwhelming is to just start making lists and start to plan a bit more. And um, so because I'm in health, when I started, I wrote a list of all the specialist titles that were related to health and I researched um, editors contact details 
and I started sending out some emails asking about how they use freelancers so I could rather than just sending them pictures when they don't accept pictures for example um, started to research and find out more about them um, and it did actually get me added to some freelance databases straight away uh, for shift work and that kind of thing and down the line it led to some work and um, most importantly when I got going it helped me understand what the market was like for the type of journalism that I was doing um, and that sort of research is even easier to do than when I started back in the day. I sound like an old lady when I do this <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but because of social media, because of Twitter, because all, there's so much more resources online um, about what publications are, who their audiences are, and what they expect and what you know what they cover, and um, that that's even easier now. So I would definitely just start with that list. Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. It is all about getting yourself organized um i just a little aside i had to laugh then when you said you sound like an old lady because um someone recently described our podcast as like having two cool aunties in your pocket and i just thought as long as the word cool is in there i'm fine with that (laughs) so yes we are your two cool aunties for the day okay on to our guests we have some really uh excellent guests in this week First up, we've got Jen Collins, the editor and director of Journo Resources, and she also freelances for iPaper, Metro.co.uk, Pink News, and many others. Um, and oh. we also have, yeah, hi, Jen. <laughs> uh, we also have Connor Stringer, who's a multimedia journalist who's just graduated from Bournemouth University. Um, former editor-in-chief of Nerve magazine, he has leapt straight into the freelance life. He's freelancing in Northern Ireland having written for publications including Sunday Life, Newsletter and Key Radio News. So thanks for joining us today, Connor. It's going to be really interesting to hear your kind of perspective of going straight from university to freelance life. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to dive straight in with top tips. Jen, I'm going to start with you. So hello, and can you tell us what your top tip for starting out as freelance would be? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess firstly, I want to back up what you said about business cards. They have been on my to-do list for about five years and I have never made, I've never got around to making them yet. I know that I should at some point, but I haven't. So yeah, definitely don't let something um, little like that throw you off. Um, I guess my biggest tip, and I'm sure you've covered this before, but I think one to really get over when you're first starting out is just not to be uh, afraid about rejection and just to take that in your stride as something that you're organized about kind of like you were saying as well Emma you've got all these lists and you've got all these plans and actually once you start out contacting people being organized putting it into lists working out what works and what doesn't um, is actually all part of the process so don't worry about putting stuff out there and not hearing anything back yeah no absolutely i mean rejection is just part of it and you quite just for even seasoned freelancers you're not necessarily going to get any feedback on why they didn't like the article or nothing you might not hear anything at all so that's all perfectly normal and connor what about you you're kind of really early on in your career is there anything that's worked well for you so far or you wish you'd done differently and I find that the sooner you can get used to uh, rejection, rejection and get comfortable with people not replying, used to that becoming the new normal for you, um, the better. I think one of the biggest tips uh, someone gave me and it, and it has worked so well is understanding who to pitch to and who that person to pitch to is, as it can be quite difficult to 
when you start are quite easy to um to just send an email to the nearest the, uh, the first email you come across but it's so worthwhile understanding who the commissioning editor is or who the right person to to um who makes those decisions is so you can get a one a response and two possibly a commission yeah that that's so true and it does take quite a bit of legwork to kind of work out who the commissioning editor is and i guess this kind of builds into the idea of um getting yourself organized so that once you do kind of find out who that person is it's kind of making a note of their details um and having a kind of system for for tracking who they work for and also there's a turnover of staff so you kind of have to keep keep on top of who is the person um, to pitch to if editors move on um so i guess that kind of leads us into talking about getting organized um and kind of maybe google docs or or people will have different ways of doing this but at the very minimum having a place to keep track of your ideas um but also a track of kind of pitches and commissions invoicing um whether that's in one place or several different sheets so jen i just wondered how would you kind of go about what what is your system and, and has that changed over time yeah i think the main thing is just as you say to be organized and there are lots of different ways to do that because we all i think we all think differently about stuff um but just having a system that works for you and making sure that system goes across several things so for me um i have just a really simple spreadsheet in terms of invoicing so i've got an invoice template i've got um a google drive sheet which i update every time i send an invoice out and then i it kind of will say literally when i've sent it when it should be due and when i should when i should be chasing it um and then i've got a trello board in terms of ideas where i kind of put stuff in there and you can move it along whether when i've pitched it or when i've heard back so there are a lot of different ways of doing things um and it's not necessarily that one's right or isn't but just think about what kind of person i think you are some people will love to have a list that they just have a look at every day and there's four or five things on there and then they've got one master one and they pull stuff off or other people might want to kind of you know have that color-coded spreadsheet and get really granular about it but just making sure that you've actually found something and you've thought about what you've been doing at university like what was helping you plan that assignment and then there's probably a way of pulling that in and making that work for freelancing because you only really need a couple of things it's just as you say you know making sure you've got your invoices and the incomes and outcomes all sorted and also a place for your ideas and i think those are the two things you've got to think about so just two systems that's yeah what you need. yeah that's really interesting you use trello because i've i've been using trello um for some shift work i've been doing and i've, I've kind of been getting to grips with that and i think it would be quite useful because at the moment i've got a word doc of ideas and I'm not very good at keeping track of where I've sent them. I tend to just rely on my email and do a search my email. But I think in the beginning I was more organized um, and I was keeping track of it a bit more, but as time's gone on, my client base, I guess, has kind of got more, got smaller because I have more regular work. I just, I just wonder, Connor, what, what is the system that you use? I think Jem hit the nail on the head. If, um, for me personally, like going through university, you find a system that works for you in terms of, you know, keeping on top of assignments or um, other external stuff. So getting an organization system that you're comfortable with and familiar with, uh, I find has helped. I've just quite, I would also would use and be a big fan of Google Docs uh, to track uh, ideas rather than Trello and spreadsheets for invoices and um, due dates and keeping on top of commissions and um, when I should be, um, 
uh, submitting them and when I should be uh, expecting payment and things like that. Um, I haven't used Trello myself personally, but I'm <laughs> maybe this is bad. I'm also a big sucker for a good notepad and it comes with me everywhere. I love it. Uh, and that is where my ideas stay. But I think going forward, I think it's extremely important that no matter where you're uh, making your notes and, and keeping up to date, just having an idea of where you're sending and who you've sent uh, pitches to. Um, email search is good. I use them too, Lily. Uh, but sometimes you can spend, I, sometimes I spend up to, you know, five, 10 minutes looking for an email. I'm pretty sure I've sent before, but uh, I just can't for the life of me get uh, find it. So having an idea of who you've sent to uh, previously uh, is, I find is yeah absolutely i mean i have um an excel uh spreadsheet for kind of when i've got commissioned and then the invoice it kind of and it'll say things like the rate that they've commissioned and the invoice and then i know when to chase the invoice but my ideas are in a separate kind of word table and i was wondering recently about trying something like trello because when the coronavirus started i had to set up a separate coronavirus ideas list because there were so many things that I was because I'm as a health journalist there were so many things that I were coming across about coronavirus that I was too busy to do anything with then but I needed kind of an ongoing thing just um I would say the important because I write um I write on a notepad a list of the jobs every day that I need to do because I need that physical thing of crossing it off some people can do it all kind of online and have like a like google diary and that's all they use and i can't do that i need to have like a here's my list and then you can put little things on the list like tidy desk and then you can cross it off straight away um but yeah this week even though i have a list and i keep it up to date and i'm really good at that i nearly forgot about a commission because it was just a little thing that i was supposed to fit in and among something else and when i was out walking the dog one night i just went <gasps> the thing and I had actually written it down so it just shows you that if you don't keep track of this you will just drop the ball and these things and not and just completely forget to go to a shift or do whatever it is and um, let's we have had an episode on finances but just let's kind of go a little bit into this you need to know when to chase invoicing you need to know if you haven't been paid that's such kind of a part of being professional so um Jen would you agree like having those systems from the get-go even before you've got your first commission just having it set up ready to go yeah absolutely and i think just you've definitely covered all this stuff before but you're just having you know even like the base stuff of the expectation of how long it will take to generally get paid i think is really important because generally it's going to be at least 30 days once you finish the work unfortunately until you actually get that money landing in your bank account so actually having yeah thought all of this through and just being aware i mean i tend to as much as possible have you know, a couple of times in the diary, whether it's once a week or whether it's every other week or once a month, depending on how much work you're doing, or actually just kind of take stock, go through the bank account, check what's comes in. Um, and just so I can be aware of anything kind of that might be a problem coming up because it's getting to the date and I haven't really heard anything. So just having a regular time put in and being aware that it might take, you know, a couple of hours to kind of send out these invoices or chase stuff um, and really having that in your diary. So it's, just not to expect that the whole of your time will be writing, if that makes sense. So you've penciled no. in your invoice time. Yes. I mean, it's about thinking of yourself as a business. So all the admin mm. stuff that you need to do, that's part of, you need to kind of factor that into your weekly working plan. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a really good um, what, newsletter, um, Anna Cadrera's newsletter. She's got one that talks about mm. giving yourself, um, I can't remember how much it is, it's about 20, 25% of your time. 
um, to admin and kind of building that into the way in which you think about money and rates because you will spend a lot of time um, doing the admin, whether that's chasing money, chasing pictures, inputting information. And, and again, just having a system. I, I used to think, right, shall I just do chasing once a month and just have a day put aside for doing that? But actually I've found it's easier just to do it kind of as I go along. But then sometimes I do forget. I feel, gosh, I need to invoice them. Completely forgot about that. And so then there's kind of a delay um, with getting paid. That is the weirdest thing, isn't it? Because I think this might sound really bizarre to like people who are listening, who are like, what, you forgot to invoice? I don't know about you, but like, I've definitely done that before. And I think most freelancers have also done that. And if you're just not organised, like, it's not even their fault that you've not got paid. You're like, where's that money? Like, I never sent the invoice. So yeah, like, just, I think it just kind of stresses how important it is to actually have a system. Or whichever yeah, you're works. really right. I'm, a, I'm really good at doing stuff in my head. I'm completely convinced <laughs> I've done it. Um, so yeah this kind of underpins why we all need to be organized yeah absolutely and one thing i would say for for anyone listening and and for particularly students graduating is that at at first it can it can be very daunting to you know uh, as a freelancer beginning to having to chase an editor or a big editor that you're worried about um making a bad first impression of or coming across too strongly or coming across over again they haven't um uh send an invoice out or they haven't uh, got reply for you from trying to get a, a, over that initial fear and, and like you said um Emma and Lily, treating yourself as a business at the end of the day and and trying to market and uh, and approach others uh, in that kind of mindset helps a lot trying to get over that initial fear yeah I think a lot of it when you're starting out it's about confidence isn't it and just believing in yourself that you know you're a professional you work in a professional manner and that there's nothing wrong with kind of chasing editors as long as you're polite um you know but and then they expect it and they get it from everybody else and it's not unusual um to chase whether it's a pitch or money and also to ask questions um you know different organizations pay in different ways um and some expect yeah. you to invoice but some pay you automatically and you've got to know from the beginning what their system is um, yeah, that's crucial. I think understanding even a commission accepted, um, one the rate and two uh, how they pay is will be crucial. I think um, if you work off a spreadsheet like I do for that kind of thing, as soon as you get that info, I whack it straight in so I know um, in the future if I have a commission for them how they work going forward, um, and then then coming back to it after uh, you know when you're chasing payments or or um, or vice versa, you know, how they work and the, and the insides of their system. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Actually, I've never thought to do that, making a note of, like, how they're going to pay you and whether you need to do anything or not. Um, yeah, that's quite a useful tip, actually, is, is so you don't forget, kind of... And also within the same organisation, you know, I've, I do stuff for The Sun online. One department asked me to send an invoice and another department pays me automatically <laughs> and it's like I don't get that um so you, yeah you have to keep track of that and I guess the other thing is about kind of being tapped into all the right networks um and having all the kind of information that you need at your fingertips so I just kind of wanted to 
move on to that really and and kind of we know obviously our listeners are aware that um you know we've got the podcast series and we have a facebook group where people um can get um information but of course there's also loads of information on journal resources Presspad have got um lots of stuff on their site as well um there's the new freelance um assembly that's been set up by the ejc and there's loads of newsletters out there for jobs and freelance advice everyone seems to be starting a newsletter at the moment um so there's loads of those things there um, are lots and um, we will put sort of lots of resources and links to things that we've mentioned in the show notes um but connor is there anything that you found particularly helpful um as you've got started in terms of yeah definitely um journalism.co.uk and and journalism resources Jim, you'll be glad to know understanding like the different rates everywhere uh, and is and having an idea in the back of your head of what's acceptable and getting yourself kind of a general understanding of what the current environment and market is i mean post coronavirus maybe i had some bad timing but um a lot of uh papers local papers regional papers struggling financially so their rates change so it's just understanding um what to expect and uh, and how to price your work accordingly because you don't want to go in uh, like a beginning and you know overshooting the mark or, or underselling yourself um in order to just to impress and, and then from then going forward they expect you know the same kind of rate for yourself for work that someone else could be getting paid uh, handsomely more for. So I find that very key. And, and other tips and tricks that they are on, on various websites, uh, trying to locate uh, commissioning editors' emails that seems to be the bane of uh, a good day's work, sometimes buried somewhere on the bottom of a LinkedIn page, um, can, be, can be quite difficult to get a hold of. But uh, yeah, understanding and, and where to look and how to get different types of information is, is so crucial. Yeah, and Jen, I mean, obviously, Journal Resources has been working a lot on providing information for freelancers. But I mean, what advice would you give to people starting out in terms of sort of tapping into the sort of networks and events, joining organisations? Sort of kind of where do they get started with that? I think, in a weird way, um, everyone's kind of been forced online at the moment. So actually, you've got quite a good opportunity to, whereas before you might have felt that you were maybe missing out by not being able to go to an in-person event we're all actually in the same boat now so I think it's just about finding those communities and getting yourself into them I mean you've mentioned a couple of places already I mean you've got an excellent Facebook group yourself um there are a load more um there's one specifically a young journalist community which has just started up as well um and I think even just joining um groups like that with similar people I think are quite a good place to be able to kind of just say quite informally i don't know what i'm doing with this is that okay and there are quite a lot of people in there who are thinking the same thing or might have done it before um, and have a bit of advice so we definitely advise joining a couple of those facebook groups some of them have some really good resources in there as well so like this podcast or um the young journalist community has like a set of um people who've put in successful pictures they've all got that in one doc so there are some really kind of rich resources there and obviously you might want to turn off the notifications so you're not like bombarded at all times um but that would definitely be somewhere where i'd potentially look to start um if i wanted to kind of develop those contacts and quite frequently you know you often see people and they're going oh I need someone tomorrow to help me cover a story or something so it's quite a good source of work and even if it's not that you pitch in for that you then can note that editor's name down and that they might be commissioning in the future or something 
Yes, and one thing that I've noticed recently is, um, well, because of coronavirus, because there were lots of events, especially around medical journalism stuff that I couldn't attend because they were always in London. And um, now everybody's online. I've been going to loads of things all the time, and and it's really useful and asking questions as well and training stuff as well. So little, um, I've got something tomorrow on uh, data journalism, so I was hoping to pick up some kind of more tips uh, on how to kind of go through spreadsheets and stuff. So. There's so many opportunities right now. Definitely say, kind of make the most of it while you can before people kind of start going back face to face and it might be a longer journey, a bit more of an effort to kind of tap yourself into that. And um, yeah. yeah, sorry. Sorry, I was just gonna say really quickly, cause I know we've talked a little bit about like um, working out like who that right editor is. And I was just gonna say that there are like a couple of things you can do with that. I think we've touched it on it a couple of times. Um, but the, the thing I use is called um, hunter.io which is just a website that will tell you the format of an email address um, and it might not tell you the exact persons but then you just have to find their name um, and so you can just search on LinkedIn for people that work at a specific, specific place or search for um, people who work by use at say the sun by using at the sun so um, yeah just a quick tip because I know we've touched on it a couple of times now about how to actually find those commissioning editors. Yeah, that's really useful. Um, and it kind of taps into the next thing that I was going to ask about, which was about kind of doing your research. So I mentioned at the start about making a list of everywhere that you could work. Um, but I kind of wanted to stress that it goes beyond that because it's about getting to know those publications and websites really well. So you need to buy a copy of the magazine or find a way to kind of be able to read that magazine. I mean, remember that all your kind of subscriptions and everything that you have to buy is tax deductible because you need it for work. Um, but you need to learn about the different sections that they have and the type of articles that they do if you're ever going to have a successful pitch. If you pitch something to an editor that either they've just run that day or that week, or that is nothing related to anything that they would do or the audience that they serve you would just get immediately dismissed and they might even remember you the next time you pitched as the person who kind of got it completely wrong about what they do because they'd not done their research and um, so yeah Lily I think you would agree with this that it, yeah, it's so important to um, yeah I mean, you've gotta, yeah you've got to do your research I mean it doesn't have to take an awful amount of time but if you're going to pitch to a magazine, then you've got to go out and get a copy of the magazine. And, that, you know, I, I sometimes see some people in groups like talking to editors and like asking them what what the content is. And I'm like, oh, it's just that's just really lazy. And it also just sets a really bad impression. Um, so, yeah, go out and get a copy of the magazine, read it, see what they do. Don't rely on the website or a Facebook page because that won't have the content of the magazine it'll, it'll be different it'll be shaped for a different audience um you know i when i first started freelancing i just had a clear out the other day in my office actually and i found so many copies of magazines and newspapers that i just bought to see what they were doing before i started pitching to them getting it on the right day for a particular section um all sorts of publications that i would never normally read um, or never normally buy, um, you know, like Mother and Baby magazine. Um, so yeah, it's about doing research and then that helps you to tailor your pitches um, and to have a real understanding of what their, their audience is. Um, 
Gem, I mean, what, what do you think in terms of like doing the research before you pitch? What is kind of the, the key thing that people need to do? You're so right. It's also one of my biggest like kind of bugbears when you see people, especially asking really basic stuff, um, like, oh, do you have a feature section? You know, and you're just like, come on, like this would just take you five clicks to have a look. Um, so I would definitely say that you definitely need to remember that your research is just about it's just as much about the publication as it is about your story idea and it it doesn't take much to do that you just need to make sure you've read some of it you've looked at some of the verticals um and i guess another thing i would mention in terms of pitching specific editors when they've done a call out is just to make sure you're contacting them in the way that they've asked to be contacted this is another thing i see quite often on facebook groups um or i've got myself where i've put a um put a call out is you've said oh hey I want these ideas I want them sent here and I've thought about that because that's the best way because I know I'm going to get say a hundred odd emails off this and then you'll have people kind of in the comments saying oh please can you dm me or you know they'll dm you instead of emailing you or whatever and I can see why people do it especially when you're starting out because you're very aware that there's a lot of competition and maybe you want to stand out but I think just be mindful that if an editor has kind of suggested to get in touch in a certain way that is the way that they're kind of managing their pitches and it won't make you stand out in a good way so just thinking about you know the best way to get in touch is the one that's the most convenient for the editor not the one that everyone else isn't doing um so i think yeah that would be my biggest bit of advice and i guess the only thing i'd add on that point of research is just remembering that always remembering that a story is very different for different outlets and you're as we were talking about earlier often going to get a lot of a lot of rejections or you might not hear back so you might want to repurpose that idea and send it to someone else and that's totally fine um but you definitely shouldn't be sending it off blanket exactly the same like a story would look very different in the times as it would to you know the sun or the guardian or whatever so always kind of approaching it from a how would this look in your publication kind of having an idea in your head where it would fit and you don't have to be as i had a good piece of advice actually from um robin vinta who's the editor of the overtake up in leeds um, who said, you know, I don't ever expect it to be as explicit as someone saying, I see this working in this part of your, um, in this part of your publication. But it's just having that sense when you read it that someone does know where it would fit and they have actually read your publication. Yeah, and some publications um, have got pitching guidelines as well. So I know it's wide have been doing this a lot recently. They've been putting loads of calls out for pitches. That they're really about what they want and what it needs to do and but they've written all they've written about that on medium you can get it so you know by looking at following them on twitter you would know that because they're publishing it all the time so if then you pitch something that doesn't meet their guidelines it, it's immediately shown that you've not put kind of that basic level of effort into learning into learning about them um yeah. I'm gonna, sorry go on no, I was just going to say, I was just wondering, sort of from Colin's point of view, with you sort of starting out quite recently, um, in terms of sort of how have you gone about kind of finding work, I guess, like, you know, from your, your yeah. what have you been doing yeah. to get that work? Because you seem to be well, pretty busy. <laughs> well, um, all those kind of things that Jim said has uh, hit the nail on the head. But one thing I would also uh, be very conscious of when you're researching a publication, if, and if you have an idea in mind that you think is original and uh, no one hasn't done it before, is to check to see if a publication that you has already done something similar 
or the same on. You don't want to pitch an idea that's pretty much a, a carbon copy of something they've done before and it makes it look like you've never read the publication or you know have an idea of, of what they're running. So to be very aware that uh, although you may have a, a good idea just when you're researching and um, to see where it would fit in the publication uh, and who to send it to to see if they've run anything on it before. And then once you do that, you can also tailor a pitch to that, you know, use it as a platform for a follow-up or, or, or vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, yeah, that's really good advice, Connor. I mean, one thing that I was thinking about when you start freelancing and you might have found this is that, um, you can be kind of sending out pitches and it can all be a bit, I haven't actually got any work yet maybe, or I've only got one thing and it can feel a bit difficult to kind of motivate yourself or keep yourself going. And um, I know that Lily and I both like to kind of set ourselves little mini goals. So it might be, I do 10 pitches this week or I can see that I'm running short on work. So next week I need to do some pitching and I'm going to make that Monday, but it might be something as simple as I need to do my website. I need to rewrite my email signature. I'm going to do, three posts on Twitter or on LinkedIn this week, kind of promoting what I'm doing. So it can be quite small things. And um, is that something that you've been doing, Connor, as you've... Started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, one of the biggest things I, I find that work really well is um, setting yourself goals throughout the week. And, um, you know, I like to pick personally first thing on a Monday because I know that that's probably when editors and that are going to be most likely uh, more focused on their emails, having an idea of, uh, you know, planning for the week ahead, the week ahead and their content for the week. And so I like to kind of at the end of Friday towards the weekend and over the weekend set up, uh, you know, pictures and understand who I'm, the ideas I want to run for the week and keep an eye on the Sunday papers as they, generally tend to set the news agenda for the week going forward. So keep an eye on what, you know, what I can expect to see and what they kind of would want for the week uh, week going forward. And you, you touched on email signatures. I know I've fallen into the business card trap myself, but as everything moves online with coronavirus, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is uh, having a great email uh, signature as you can really sell yourself and set yourself uh, apart um, from uh, anyone else. And it makes you just look professional and polished as well. And rather than um, having nothing there at all, it can be quite eye-grabbing sometimes, and like an almost like a, a seal of approval sometimes, or a mark of professionalism that uh, editors, I think, it may stand out to them. And I think on that, um, you just reminded me. Uh, you know, even as simple as making sure you've got a good email address, like um, before you've like sorted out the signature, but like you know you'd be surprised the amount of emails I get especially because at Journey Resources we're often dealing with people at the start of their career and it's very much like it's very much a hotmail they set up um you know seven years ago with a nickname and uh you've no idea who this person is whereas it's at, it's about fiver to get your you know gemcollins.co.uk so if you've got that money you can again that's tax deductible you might as well do it or if not just setting up a really simple like first name dot last name at gmail actually does make more of a difference than you think <laughs> yeah this is something another thing i procrastinated over for ages was whether to um use my website domain for my email address or my yahoo you know yahoo is kind of ancient in terms of um, an email provider um, and I did start using the one attached to my domain for a bit but it was such a clunky system that I gave up on it and went back to my Yahoo and I think because it's just my name Lily Cantor um, at Yahoo um, that that that's all right it's where it hasn't meant I've had 
I've had any problems getting work. I think sometimes my email does go into spam, but that seems to happen with a lot of emails these days. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think as long as it's not like, you know, something slightly dodgy or... As long as it's not like Princess Flower 2004 yeah. or something. Yeah. And just... Oh, I think we might have just oh. lost Connor. Joe's. Connor I mean, there on, the, on the subject of setting... Oh, sorry, no, okay. <laughs> on the subject of kind of setting goals, um, I know that like when Lily started, she kind of had a list of these are the things I need to get in place. These are the things I need to do. And that can make you feel like you're achieving something and you're moving forward, even if you haven't got that first commission or you've only just got one and you're struggling to get another. Just kind of making it feel like um, you're taking steps forward can be really, um, really helpful, I think. Yeah, and I think a part of that as well is setting financial goals. So being quite realistic about what you can earn and also what you can live off and it's you know it's perfectly reasonable to be working doing something else that might be completely unrelated to journalism if you need to um you know I know that I sort of phased into freelancing I was fortunate enough that I had a university job um so I was freelancing whilst I was doing that work and I had um I, I knew there was a time where that that contract was going to come to an end so I kind of had this transition period probably over about a year um, before I kind of went fully into freelance so I think it's like giving yourself that time um, to build up those um, those networks those contacts that regular work and not expecting that you're suddenly going to have a salary you know if you go right I'm gonna go freelance and next month that's going to be my income um, you, you've kind of got to be realistic about it I mean, Gem, how was that kind of process for you? Because you, you transitioned, didn't you, from a, from a staff job? Yeah, so I've bounced around a bit. So I've had it, uh, had it both ways, actually. So um, I pre previously worked for um, a, a while ago now. So the first time I went freelance, uh, I worked as a um, video journalist for a politics website um, and got let go because I didn't have any money. Uh, so that was a bit more of a... I have to find money to pay the rent um, and there I took on a lot more shift work than I do now that's not necessarily something that I wanted to do um, but that was a really good in for me there whereas this time around um, I transitioned in a bit similar to you um, I was working full-time uh, as a news editor for a human rights news website and I was lucky enough that I gradually went down from five days to three days um, to kind of like phasing it out entirely and I guess the point is is just that as you as you touched on yourself is that I think any freelance journalist um, who you could think of that you're following on Twitter or Instagram or whatever probably isn't making 100% of their money um, from commissions that they're writing um, so whether it is that they're actually doing some shift work whether it's that they've you know got a part-time job that's absolutely unrelated to journalism um, or whether it's something else at the moment a lot of the money uh, you know, a decent percentage of what I'm earning at the moment is coming from I'm doing a bit of social media work for a PR firm because it's a regular, regular gig for a day a week. So I think, yeah, absolutely just, if nothing else, taking away that pressure from yourself that you instantly need to be making all this money from commissions. Because I think we always focus on commissions and that's the goal. Um, but I think it's very rare that any of us are actually 
that's our main income and that covers everything because if nothing else you can't predict it there's no way of knowing what you're going to land one week what you're going to what you're going to land the next so yeah if you can absolutely I would advise you to think about how you kind of ease into that so a part-time gig of some form whether you can take down current what you're currently doing or even if it's you know working in working in a shop or a cafe we had a really great piece last year from a guy who was talking about you know how it actually really helped him um continuing to work as a manager in a shop because of all the interactions he was having and kind of the story ideas he was managing to get from that so whether it's something like that or whether it's finding related things in journalism that you can do to prop it up so whether it's that you're doing a little bit of social media management or that you're going in-house for shifts but just generally thinking about all those things how all those things build together and not feeling like you have to make all of this from commissions i think is the most important thing and Connor, how is that sort of working out for you? Have you, I mean, do you set yourself kind of a target of how much you want to earn or you just kind of yeah. see how it goes? Um, a little bit of a target, uh, to be honest. Um, like, Jem, I think you find yourself, uh, I mean, I graduated uh, in the amount of jobs and full-time jobs are becoming fewer but um i found that i would take on i want to take on a lot more uh, shift work to ensure that i had that work there and 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 the money coming in because um it's vital although the freedom of freelancing uh, and picturing can be so fun and get to write the stories that you um you dream on and you get to uh, interview the people uh, that you plan to sometimes like uh, you know starting up until you build that relationship but the contacts and the network it can be uh, few and far between uh, between commissions so um shift work uh, particularly in newsrooms uh, is where i'm at at the moment is um uh, not only essential to understanding um maybe how the newsroom works and the, the way an editor would think if they saw a commission coming in but um i like to use it as a way i mean anyone that's gone on some work experience or work I'm sure we've seen a newsroom email before and it's constantly inundated with PR and press releases and other uh, perhaps some emails from uh, general um, uh, freelancers as well. So being able to understand what stands out to me, even if I'm just flicking through an email, uh, a newsroom email to see if there's any uh, news lines coming in um, can be quite good as well. So when I go home and I, and I, and I pitch perhaps the rest of the week, I understand what um, is selling and what's, uh, and what's not at the moment. Yeah, I think that's really useful. Like thinking about news shifts as kind of part of your sort of portfolio um, of work, really. I mean, Emma and I both do do news shifts. Um, and yeah, and it's a good way of kind of keeping up to date with, with what's going on on a regular basis, particularly if, you know, you spend a lot of time pitching features as well. Um, it's quite nice to have a kind of change of gear um, and to be doing news shifts. Um, I think one thing we haven't kind of touched is um, kind of more, more on the kind of setting yourself up um, legally. So in the fact that you need to kind of realise that when you're freelance, you have to do a tax return, um, set yourself up as a sole trader. Um, we covered this a little bit in the finances um, episode. Um, but I'm just wondering, kind of, Gem, perhaps maybe can you outline kind of what the minimum you need to do really and, and kind of not to put it off or be scared by the process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a lot less scary uh, than it sounds. Um, I think I would say, you know, don't, don't, don't worry, you know, too much. Don't 
don't think about it as don't think about it as something that you have to put off but you know you can equally i think it's a thousand pounds isn't it that it's when you kind of tip over into having to register as self-employed so you know if you do land that first commission a lot sooner than you think just know that there is that kind of buffer there so that if if it has been that you know you've started out and it's taken a while to kick things off but don't worry too much um but i think that the main thing about it is just making sure that you have registers and it genuinely is a lot easier than it sounds it you just need to kind of as we've kind of talked about already around kind of having those spreadsheets that keep track of what's going in and what's going out the form at the end of the year for self-employed or sole trader whichever you are kind of registering as um is literally just a essentially boils down to how much have you made and how much did you have to spend um to make that much money um and so it re it really is that simple it's just a case of making sure you've kept track of all those things and so that when you sit down to do that you've got all your invoices you've got all your receipts in case someone needs to see them so that would be i guess my main advice would be to get registered as soon as you are making money um and just make sure that you're keeping track of everything throughout the year because that is the main thing that will kind of trip you up is if you haven't kept track of how much you're earning and you haven't put a little bit bit aside so it's just having that kind of having that kind of mindset there that you've not kind of ignored it and then you get to April the next year and you're like, oh gosh, I do actually have to pay this money. So yeah, just know that you have to do it. Don't panic too much. Just make sure that you keep track of everything. Yeah, it is It is quite straightforward. Um, it's like a single form to kind mm -hmm. of fill out online. Then you get all the details. There's lots and lots of um, information on the HMRC website um, and you know, on a helpline, you don't have to get yourself an accountant. We kind of covered all this in um, financial stuff, but just it's, you know, to be a sole trader, you only need your name. That's it. You just sign yourself up with your name and your address and you're done and dusted. Um, and it's, it's, you know, that's all you need to know. No one's going to ask you any kind of scary questions. So yeah, just do it and be organized. That's really yeah. good. I think you see a lot of people, I think sometimes you can like work yourself up a bit because I think sometimes you see, especially in those Facebook groups, you know, some people are maybe talking about setting themselves up as limited companies or doing fancy things around VAT, but you definitely don't, that, you know, the only reason you need to think about that is if, you know, a year or two down the line, this is going really well um, and you're earning a lot of money that then you need to think about stuff like that. But I would absolutely echo what you're saying. Like the easy thing that you need to do is just set up as a sole trader, fill out the one form and don't, don't necessarily worry yourself into getting into those thoughts about, Oh, what do I do about X? What do I do about Y? Just do the simple thing and then get going. Cause you can always change it later. If you want to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, we've had so much good advice today. We could just talk about this forever. You're both, um, you've both provided such useful stuff um, and I really wish I'd had more of this clear in my head when I started because I kind of tried to be organized and um, but it was all a bit hit and miss and I kind of learned as I went along so with hindsight I could have made my life a lot easier if I just kind of got myself off to the right start yeah and both of you thank you so much I think there's been some really helpful advice there and we hope our listeners have found that useful too um, just a little mention that we have got a coffee page now. So if you want to buy us a virtual cup of tea or coffee um, to say thank you for uh, making the podcast, then we would really appreciate uh, that. Um, and also please get in touch. Um, let us know how your freelance career is going. Let us know any topics that you'd like us to cover on the show. We, we'd love to hear from our listeners.
Yeah, so you can email us at freelancingforjournalists at gmail.com. Um, on Twitter, we are at freelancing4, so you can message us there as well if you want to. Yeah, and you can also follow me. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And don't forget to join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook group. Um, there's lots of, <clears throat> excuse me, lots of tip and advice on there. But also we have an exclusive 20% discount code for the book um, on that Facebook community. So come along and say hello. Yeah, and we will be back next week to talk about publishing your first book. We have some other guests on who are talking about their books as well. Yeah, so we're really looking forward to that. But until next time, bye for now. Bye.